Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. I'm Christina Souza Ma, your host of this program. This is episode 32. Thank you so much for joining me again as we continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each of us find balance in our individual journeys. We are always so excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. Joining us today is a gentleman whose journey is truly like chapters of a book. From a focused young boy to an all-star athlete, to having all that stripped away by a motor vehicle accident. Now he is on a journey assisting those around him to improve their abilities. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Corky Woolman. Hi there, how are you? Oh, I, I'm so excited. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very, very much for having me. Well, thank you so much. And I also have to let our audience know that you are the brother of our Dr. Glenn Woolman, my co-host on Med Magical Medical Tour. Um, that's correct. I am very, very fortunate to have an amazing brother. Uh, in that way, yes. It's so lovely because he feels the same about you as being a superb individual. <laughs> well, I, I wish you could have shared a lot of the experiences that I uh, had the opportunity to share with him. Having a, an older brother, my, my parents um, had two children, my, my two older brothers, and then they skipped 11 years and then had uh, two more, my sister and I. And so as I grew up, uh, having a short amount of time, because by the time I was five or six, uh, Glenn was already in medical school and, and moving on with his life. However, um, the beauty of having an older brother was that when I was growing up, my parents, uh, who were the greatest parents in the world, uh, were partners in a summer camp. And from zero to 12, every summer, uh, I spent at the camp, and Glenn and my other brother Eric. Uh, Glenn was in charge of the water uh, <laughs> site, so the the swimming, the skiing, the the canoeing, all of those things. So so I got to always go and hang out with him, and of course, being the son of the owner, ruled the camp uh, in my small capacity. But yes, every summer uh, from uh, zero to twelve, I got to spend with him, and it was wonderful. Oh, that's magnificent. So so it was like a family affair, the summer camp. Oh, absolutely. My my dad being one of the directors, my mom kind of being involved with her own thing, uh, and both my brothers working there. And then my sister was a camper like I was uh, up until, you know, my parents sold the camp. Well, I don't think you guys had much of a choice, did you? We, uh, <laughs> you were we just immersed in all that. It, it was time to move on. I, if I would have had my say in it, and my vote really didn't count, uh, <laughs> they would have held on to it for five or six more years. But that, that's okay. I, I have the greatest memories. Uh, one great memory, and and there are so many I couldn't even begin to, to start listing them. Was that I did get to see uh, Apollo Eleven take off. From about a mile and a half away, wow. and with that was the Neil Armstrong first man on the moon, and I remember that moment as if it was uh, yesterday, uh, back in 1969. Um, being a mile and a half away, not many people get that close, and we were very fortunate uh, to go see the the takeoff, and uh, it changed my life. It was it was so magnificent that I made uh, that be a part of my life from that moment on. So much so that when the space shuttle just flew over a month or so ago, I went and camped out at 7.30 in the morning over on Runyon Canyon, a, a, a big uh, dog park near where I live in the Hollywood Hills, to uh, stake out a position and prepare for the 22nd flyover. Um, the and it and it too was just a beautiful thing. So yes, it was just another great memory and of a long list of wonderful memories. Oh yes, that's magnificent. So so when you were that that young, you were exposed to so much already. <laughs> it it's uh, so interesting in that for me and for my development, uh, growing up at a summer camp, uh, summer camps usually involving all of the the sports, and it being in Florida. 
very little ice hockey and and winter sports. It was all the summer sports. So for the first moments that I can remember, uh, the happiest times were when I just had a ball and uh, literally uh, both playing with the ball and <laughs> having one. Uh, so either involved with other campers or just by myself, especially after all the campers left, I had 250 acres to run around by myself and play with and kicking a ball or shooting one into a basket. Uh, that was my life. And uh, I couldn't have asked for anything more. Now, were your other siblings as active as you were? Like, what, was your younger sister in on this too? My sister was uh, fairly athletic. She was into gymnastics, uh, as most young girls are at that age. Uh, I don't know if her passions were in that area as well. And of course, Glenn and, and Rick, his, his real name's Eric, I call him Rick. Uh, they were both very athletic um, up until they each, you know, were involved in their own unfortunate physical um, situations. Um, so yeah, they're, and they're still, I get a lot of my athletic ability from my parents and through them as well. So, so really your influence from a very early age, I mean, for all of you, were your parents being so active? It, well, my, my parents, uh, my dad was an incredible athlete, um, and he actually wrestled at NYU. Um, I don't know if they had a lot of the other exercises, but he was uh, injured in the war, um, so much so that, that uh, he was partially crippled. He, it's, his story is an amazing story. I don't really want to get into his story too much. <laughs> Uh, but uh, a hero in every sense of the term. Um, and what was really amazing, you know, most children get to play catch with their father. Uh, I only got to play catch once or twice with my dad because he couldn't move around. So, uh, so if I threw the ball to him, I had to absolutely throw it right into his glove. Otherwise, I had to go chase it. So, <laughs> oh, so I, can, I can give him credit for improving my aim as far as that. And then we would. Uh, it was very funny because we would go play tennis um, and uh, against our neighbors, uh, their father and son, and we would always win. However, what would happen was my dad wouldn't be able to move. He would just stay in one spot, and then I would run around and, and hit all the balls, and uh, <laughs> possibly that improved my tennis game, right. but it, it was still a, a wonderful thing. And my dad was more into boating, so he didn't really have to move as much. Right. Uh, and we did that quite a bit as well. Oh, <laughs> true influences in life. That's hilarious. Now, now, so that was your, your foundation from the moment you were born was into a really, you know, athletic family with older brothers and everything. And um, so give us a, a, can you share with our audience a little bit of your athletic background since I think you were six, right? Absolutely. Uh, at about the age of six, I, I went into two uh, different uh, arenas. Um, I had an uncle who uh, played table tennis. So he taught me the tricks about table tennis. So that was, that was my individual uh, sport of choice. And then my real passion uh, was football. I from almost the age of five on, I, I knew I was going to be a professional athlete. Uh, football was the major sport. I wrote a letter to the Miami Dolphins. I told them that I was going to play on their team. Uh, and they wrote at, back. At five. At five. <laughs> they, I wrote, and they wrote back, and which was amazing. They, they wrote back and, and said they would keep a position open for me. Oh, that's uh, great. Which, and I remember the three things they said. Um, they said that as long as I stayed in school, listened to my coaches and teachers and stayed away from girls. Uh, and, and, and I had to write back and said, I, I absolutely will uh, stay in school and listen to my coaches and my teachers. However, uh, I already have a girlfriend. So and I was five. <clears throat> so I had to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just kidding. I, I didn't have a girlfriend at the age of five. <laughs> anyway, the following year, my Glenn uh, playing at the University of Florida, not for the University of Florida, I believe he was in a, a frat football game, suffered a, a very, very uh, painful injury um, that uh, not only ended his football career at the moment, 
But uh, unbeknownst to him, it also ended my football career. Uh, my mom knew I was passionate for football. I was the baby. There was no way she was going to allow me to play football. And, and he was not. And and his was an injury without pads and helmets and equipment and protection equipment. And she knew that 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 just wasn't going to happen. And I was absolutely uh, traumatized for about three hours because I, I realized uh, I still had table tennis. Not I, you know, at five or six, you don't know that that, that there isn't money and profession. Even though, believe it or not, there is now. There is, yeah. Yeah, there is now. <laughs> And uh, and I had a neighbor who his parents let him play everything. He played soccer. And so my mom, not knowing the sport of soccer, not many Caucasian children, even at that time, especially in Miami, they didn't know that sport either. So my mom let me go. Uh, and for the first two or three years, I, I sat on the bench. I never got to play. All the other six, seven, eight-year-olds were sons of soccer players uh, almost, or at least that was the sport. They didn't have all the options. That was the only sport, and that's the sport they loved. So they had been playing soccer since day one of their lives. And here I am seven years you know, later trying to catch up, being very clumsy with the ball. And I can remember um, I, was, I was about 10 years old, still sitting on the bench, and sure enough, getting dragged to a game. Uh, and in the middle of the game, the goalkeeper got injured and the coach turned around and he looked at all the other players and said, does anyone want to play goalkeeper? And I looked around, looked to my left, looked to my right. No one was volunteering. And, and I pretty much know why. Um, and I said, you know what? The, the, I'm sure the view on the field is much better than the view on the sideline. So I said, why not? Let's give it a chance. I go out there. The opposing team kicked the ball right to me 10 or 15 times. They were a much better team. I simply caught the ball and punted it away. And they were all screaming, genius. Yeah, he, he's amazing. And I'm like, what? They're kicking the ball at me. I'm catching it. I'm throwing it away. And so the next thing I know, for the next almost 10 plus years, I'm being trained by all these amazing foreign professionals because mm. not many American goalkeepers even played the sport. So, mm. so they, I was getting all this amazing uh, attention. And being that I was athletic, and a goalkeeper is very much in soccer like the quarterback in football, the pitcher in baseball, they get a lot of the attention. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a knack for it. The next thing I know, I'm flying through the air. Um, making, I'm learning how to make these amazing saves that are spectacular, at least in my opinion, spectacular. Uh, but, I, but I have a lot of uh, fans and uh, uh, those who have seen some of my amazing saves uh, also agree. Uh, and it was wonderful. The only one uh, unfortunate aspect is by about the age of 16 or 17, and now I'm, by, by that age, I'm almost starting to win uh, awards and getting accomplishments. So that's partly keeping me going. I just hated playing the position oh, uh, because wow. it, it, if I could count the number of times, uh, you can almost see how many times I've been kicked in the face and kicked in the groin and kicked mm -hmm. all over and had the ball smashed into me. It's, <laughs> and once again, you don't wear any protection. And uh, I choose to not wear any protection and just go out there naked to the world uh, as a goalkeeper, and and that's so that yeah, way brutalized. it allowed me to to play on the edge a little. And as in that position, you need a lot of uh, a lot of courage, and that helped me to do that. Now, mm -hmm. in conjunction with that, I was still playing mm -hmm. table tennis, and so from the age of six to the age of thirteen, I was a competitive table tennis player, winning all of the the local, city and county, tournaments and things like that. My first international tournament, I was 13. My first match was up against an 11-year-old who was half my size. And this player, I don't, I don't remember his name, he taught me a very valuable lesson. And that was table tennis wasn't for me. He handled me like I was trying to play against Shaquille O'Neal in basketball. <laughs> he was so much better than I was. 
and he was two years younger and half my size. And so that that ended my my table tennis career, but not my racket sport career, because without knowing at that same year, being in the gym one day, uh, there were people playing badminton. And suddenly I I picked up the racket and the people that were playing it, they didn't play the game the way it was supposed to be played. Instead, they were they were playing it a different way. And and that way was just to hit the, the shuttlecock real hard and try to hit the other player on the other side of the net. And I didn't know that that's how it was played. I didn't know anything about badminton other than it was another racket sport. So for the next four years, my suddenly my high school had a team. And then before I knew it, uh, my uh, junior and senior year, I was the the city and almost the state championship, uh, champion in high school in Florida and was the uh, Miami Herald Player of the Year uh, and won, won numerous championships in, in uh, badminton as well. And then just a real quick follow-up on that, I played in my next international tournament in badminton in an under... Uh, in an open tournament, I won the, the the my age bracket, but I also said, well, let me see. I let me enter into. I probably can beat a lot of these older players. I, I'm younger. I'm, uh, I've just won a, a high school championship. My first match was up against a 75 year old who came out on crutches, and he must have been the great grandfather of that that 11 year old table tennis player because he just had his way with me all over the court. Now, I think I was lucky if I got a few points, but otherwise that that pretty much ended my my badminton career. However, I was still primarily a soccer player and on my way to becoming a professional soccer player at that point. Oh my gosh. So so now when you say it ended your career, was it because it just like the switch went off for you and you just kind of well, I, in and said, oh, my gosh, there's no way I can compete against this level? Or I, I think it, it was probably that there that, well, first of all, um, I'm not sure whether you know this or not, but, but badminton and table tennis almost combined, and, and they're now actually Olympic sports, uh, they're played uh, more than almost any other racket sport in the world. I think badminton is the number one racket sport. And then when you combine table tennis, it's not played as much in the United States, but in Europe uh, and Asia, it is the the number one racket sport by far. Uh, so there are, and if you watched any of the last Olympics, you would have seen that it's always uh, the the Asians and also um, other athletes from those areas that that win the championships, whether it's China or Japan. Uh, they're they're usually right up there um, because they just they love the sport so much and it's just a great sport. So it's not played as much in the United States. However, it's still a great great fun sport. It ended my career as far as me not wanting to pursue it in terms of of uh, a professional career because at that at that time back in the nineteen late seventies early eighties it wasn't even uh, an Olympic sport. It didn't become an Olympic sport. It was Tried out in 1984, and then they kept it uh, as far as badminton is concerned. So I, I would still play, but I just wasn't going to train like I was going to train for soccer. And I knew that soccer was what I really had a passion for. Um, but I, I was I still play racket sports to this day, and I and I love that as well. Well, you loved the soccer, but you just didn't like the goalie part, though. <laughs> uh, that that that's correct. I I got stuck in that position, and I am so fortunate to have learned to have been able to play in in as many games and in, and have as many great experiences. I didn't necessarily set out uh, to win um, any type of. Uh, all city or all county or all American, uh, even though I won all of those, and 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 that was wonderful. <laughs> that that wasn't my ultimate goal. As a playing in a team sport, your your ultimate goal is just to win a championship and to have great uh, camaraderie with your teammates uh, and so on. And and that was really that's that uh, that's why I recommend uh, all individuals to at some point in their life to to play a team sport so that you learn what it is to. Uh, to not only uh, train hard and sacrifice, but also 
deal with the losses and enjoy the victories. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, quite a sort of condensed story of, of all the, the your youth and all the sports that you've played. Now, so here you are, an all-star athlete, heading into the pros of soccer, um, and which I love soccer, of course, you know, from Canada and being brought up, you know, uh, born in Hong Kong, which is a British colony. Of course, you know, the Brits, right? Yeah. <laughs> love soccer. English football. We knew, well, English football, right. It's like, you know, it was like the American football was a little vulgar you know, growing up. And here's one ball and, and you have, what, 20 people that can play, right? Isn't it? That, that's correct. Uh, 22, 11 on each side, 10 field 22. players, one goalkeeper. Um, so so my, my parents, obviously, like most parents, wanted their child to go to school and get their education. And uh, I did that. And I was uh, very fortunate. I had athletic scholarship for the first two years. Uh, and because I was pretty much done with a particular position uh, and and changing from a goalkeeper to a field player, there weren't a lot of colleges that were going to, uh, on my uh, good behavior, give me a scholarship. So, so I finished uh, my education. I went to the University of Florida, uh, finished my education, continued playing, playing there, uh, and continued training, knowing that as soon as I graduated, the, the first thing I was going to do was to... Uh, become a professional soccer player. And there was pretty much nothing that was going to stop me. Um, I also realized after my first two years, not having a, a particular interest in, in school until I got to the University of Florida and I walked into the broadcasting and journalism school. And before I knew it, I fell in love with uh, radio and TV production. Uh, and I, I'm going to share a, a, a very quick story. Uh, I wasn't a gifted student like both my father and my brother. They, they had the, the gift for intelligence. My father could speak five languages fluently and had two PhDs. He skipped two grades. He started college at 16. Uh, I didn't get that gene. Instead, I got the athletic gene. Um, but by the time I made it to the University of Florida, I, 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 realized I'm going to have to get a degree in something and I'm not going to be a career student. And uh, broadcasting uh, allowed me the, the creativity and the path to be able to take my, my soccer skills, become a professional player, and then uh, transfer over to the broadcasting field so that I could stay within the industry uh, and still have a, a career for life. Um, and so that was my goal. And the, my, my quick, cute little story was the only A that I got at the university, well, I got one in, in a phys ed class, but the only real A that I ever got, because they don't just give them away, was in my advanced broadcasting class. Uh, so I was, I was just very happy that, that that was the one class that I needed to ace was the one that I did ace. So I was very uh, happy. Um, I didn't show that part of the report card to my dad, though. Or my mom, for that matter. <laughs> Any, anyway, so I, so I graduate, and I'm training hard. And uh, two months after I had, I had everything lined up, I was going to travel across the country, try out on every single team as a walk-on. And I knew some team was going to pick me up because I had the gift uh, and, and the passion. And uh, there was nothing that was going to stop me from becoming a professional soccer player, or, or so I thought. Um, so one, one day I was doing cardiovascular exercise. I was on, on the bike. I was coming back from, the, from a long ride. Uh, one second um, I'm pedaling and everything changed in an instant. Um, I was hit by a pickup truck from behind. Uh, the, the witnesses said that the pickup truck was traveling an estimated 60 or so miles an hour. Uh, I never saw what happened since I was hit from behind. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was probably about 16 to 20 feet in the air uh, because of the way that the pickup truck hit me and ejected me. Uh, the bike actually didn't get hit. The bike actually just practically fell to the ground. Uh, so it wasn't we were both hit. I was hit off of the bike. How on earth? 
does that happen? Um, the I'll try to diagram the but what the eyewitnesses said was that as the pickup truck approached me prior to hitting me, he swerved away from me and then swerved into me. And right where the uh, the front of the car meets the side of the door is the part that hit me. So that allowed sort of like a launching uh, angle. And that's what, what sent me flying. And so the first thing that you hear, because uh, I never lost consciousness, was an incredibly loud sound. And that's the sound of metal hitting your body on such a large piece of, of metal. So instantly I lost you know, most of the hearing on the left side of my body. Um, and, and I realized that when I was about 15 to 20 feet in the air, traveling at a very, very high rate of speed, that something had gone terribly wrong. And I don't know if there is a term for it, but it, it's the moment where time both uh, freezes and speeds up simultaneously. And so I realized that I had to act very quickly. And lucky enough for me, I was traveling pretty much in a straight line. Um, And as I saw the ground start to approach, I instinctively went back to being a goalkeeper. And when you're a goalkeeper, you learn that when you dive for a ball, unlike most professional football and baseball players who do what I refer to as the Superman dive, uh, where you fall flat on your face, In goalkeeping, you have to not only protect your body, uh, but you have to protect the ball. And they teach you to dive on your side. Uh, So instinctively, I rotated my body and stretched out so that the left side, my arms, my hips and legs and torso would absorb all of the impact from the ground. I couldn't do anything about the initial impact from being hit by the truck. But that was also the same side that, that you were hit. My lower left hit, yes, was what practically took the blunt of the truck trauma. Uh, so, yes, I, I couldn't um, rotate to my right uh, because I just naturally always like to dive to my left. So I don't know if that was the reason why. Uh, but it was also the trajectory of my body and the way my body was going in. So I knew that it was better to, to rotate left and stretch out left and and land on the left side. So the initial impact of of hitting the ground, the next thing I know, I'm I'm bouncing, I'm rolling, I'm cartwheeling, I'm I'm sliding until I finally came to a stop. And it's so amazing because I ended up right on the side of the road where I now see another vehicle coming right at me uh, at a high rate of speed. And the only thing I can remember is rolling down the embankment and saying to myself, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I didn't know how badly I I was injured. I just know that that life had changed in such an instant. Within less than a minute, um, the paramedics were there. Uh, There was a crowd around me. I I was, you know, suddenly going into shock. Uh, They were getting me on the gurney and and hauling me uh, away. And the only thing the last thing that I remember uh, was, it, it was very funny because I only had a pair of Adidas shorts on and a t-shirt and, and uh, sneakers or shoes. Uh, that's all I was wearing. It's, it's Miami, it's August, it's hot. Didn't need to be wearing much. I didn't know I needed to be having protective equipment at that time. Most of it had been shredded off of my body. Did no, you have helmets No, then? didn't need a, did, wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, and my head never, you know, once again, knowing how to land, I protected my, my head, my neck, and my back. So they never actually got touched, but the rest of my body was, was shredded and bleeding. The, the shoulder of the road was filled with nothing but a rock and broken glass and uh, shredded beer cans. So, uh, so after the paramedics picked me up, the only thing I can remember is I was able to look down uh, and I saw a contusion just below my left knee. If you can imagine just putting a cantaloupe on your left knee, that's the size of the contusion. Uh, and then by then, a shock and had set in, and I was whisked off to the hospital and, you know, getting, you know, starting, starting treatment for, you know, x-rays to determine. And, and miraculously enough, uh, I did not break one bone in my body. I, I had all kinds of other problems uh, but no, there were no broken bones, and I 
credit that to my goalkeeping skills. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's quite a story that you've shared. Thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, it is amazing how our life can change in that split moment. And, and wow, uh, I, it's, it's amazing that you're even here. Here your mother's trying to keep you out of football <laughs> to protect you. And here all you're doing is riding a bike. And, you know, here you are hit by a car or a truck. Um, how long did it take you to recover? Um, well, I, the, the way I look at it, uh, I'm still in recovery. Uh, and I don't, uh, you know, I deal with, with all kinds of, of obstacles. Uh, what I went through all of the uh, normal things that someone that suffers a tragedy like that, de denial and anger and acceptance and things like that, it, uh, the good news was I was no longer going to be a goalkeeper. The bad news was it, it took me, and I'm going to show you, it took me three years just to be able to take my left arm and raise it above my head. So years of therapy took just, just for that. It, it was uh, baby steps for probably about the next three to four months. Uh, you, you suddenly realize that the things that you took for granted uh, putting socks on, putting your shoes on, uh, become incredibly difficult. So much so that you, you develop uh, alternatives. You, you don't tie, you tie your shoes once, you can just leave them loosely tied. Uh, you almost choose not to wear socks because it'll be too difficult to put them on. Uh, you wear shirts that are much easier to get into and get out of. Um, and then you, it's a, a major change of direction in one's life. Um, I set out to still follow my dreams. I wasn't going to sit back and, and not become a professional soccer player. So it took me almost two years to get back to the level of regaining the skill and being able to play out in the field. Uh, by about the third year, uh, I had actually gotten a tryout, believe it or not, for a professional team. Uh, but I also realized that I had gotten to a point where, as a professional athlete, uh, there's game day. Sometimes there's the following day is another game day. In soccer, usually there aren't back-to-back -back game days, but you will play at least once a week. However, the following day is a day of rest, and then the third day is either going to be back to training or possibly a game if you're in a tournament. Uh, and I realized that if I played hard on one day, it took me well over a month just to recuperate. And I realized that uh, uh, my goals of being a professional athlete at that time, it was over. And How old were you at this time? I was 25, 26. And you just graduated? Well, I graduated at 22. And two months after I graduated was when I got hit. Um, so I was, I was just trying to get into the best cardio shape because I knew that that's all they were pretty much going to be looking at. And I, I didn't want to. Uh, not have my cardio fitness up. So that's why I was on the bike for and doing other training for two months right after I graduated from college. Mm. So here you are, the young man, your dream of becoming a professional athlete is completely shattered. Thank goodness your bones weren't shattered, though. That was a good thing. But it sounds like you had a lot of like muscle and tissue damage and nerve damage as well, yes? That's correct. Uh, practically, mostly on the left side of my body, but all over as well. Um, at the age of about 26, uh, I realized that I was starting to feel uh, other pains uh, that I really, primarily in my lower back, that I, I couldn't account for. So, of course, I go and see a, an orthopedic and a uh, neurologist and a neurosurgeon. They do the basic tests, the, the MRIs and so on. And they realized that I had her a, a number of herniated discs. Back in the mid-80s, the usual course, uh, well, obviously nothing and, and medication, uh, or they wanted to do a fusion. Uh, and they wanted to fuse a number of the lower uh, discs. And I absolutely said there, there was no way I was going to allow that to happen. Uh, and I don't think I ever really, I may have had some uh, pain medication to deal for the very, very difficult moments. 
but I also realized that uh, pain's going to come back, and and a lot of the pain medication, you just become a zombie, and you can't you can't function, you can't move. If you take one pill and you get a couple hours of relief, then you need two pills and you get half the amount of time, and the next thing you know, three pills then doesn't give you any relief. So. So I was never really one to want to go and in that particular direction. Um, and so I found uh, that there was a great uh, anti-inflammatory that actually uh, helped that was just coming out onto the market, uh, which was Motrin. Uh, and that, that alleviated some of the pain. Um, but uh, I was very fortunate. And at around that same time, I got a great job, or at least the job that I, I loved in the health and fitness field. So I was able to get back into uh, helping people, not directly, but indirectly. I would answer phone calls uh, and help people with fitness. Uh, and I was very, very fortunate uh, to get that particular job. And I think that particular job was open to me for the right reasons and, and the powers that are greater than myself. So, so what would you say was the main catalyst for you to overcome, I mean, to have your dream, I mean, you were so set on your track of, of attaining your professional career as, as an athlete, you know, with all these uh, uh, accolades, etc. And then suddenly this is wiped out. I mean, that, that's one trauma, the physical trauma. And then you have all this emotional trauma because of your dream since a really young boy of five years old writing that letter. 20 years later, that's basically all swept, swept aside. Um, what, what would you say would be the focus in your life or the influence in your life that helped you overcome that? Uh, that that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, and um, I'm going to tell you my response to it. Um, I reached a point where suddenly, because of the nerve damage to my body, um, I'm not going to claim that I suffer more pain than anyone. I don't know other people's pain. I, I watched my father uh, deal with so much more pain than I would ever uh, deal with in my life. He was shot down in an airplane. He crashed an airplane, and he spent two years on his back. Uh, they were about to amputate both of his legs. Uh, they were able to keep his legs, but they were they were pretty much there. He could walk. Uh, but the last 25 or so years in his life, he was in a wheelchair because he could no longer uh, do that anymore. Uh, hence the stories earlier about him not being able to move on a tennis court and so on. Uh, suddenly, more and more pains are coming in. And it's very difficult to describe them because nerve pain, uh, no one probably suffers the same direct type of nerve pain. There, yes, people will tell you things about tingling or numbness or or burning sensation well i'm i'm suddenly i'm getting all of that all over my body and i can't predict uh when or where something will be and you're almost living uh and being tortured by it now there are some pains that are just what i refer to as just minor inconvenience inconveniences you'll feel it for a second or two and then they'll go away and then there are other pains which would last three seconds to 10 seconds, but they were so intense, I, uh, and I identified those as stoppers. Uh, and a stopper for me was, it didn't matter what you were doing, it stopped you. And you had to focus for those three to 10 seconds to, to deal with it and get by it and get rid of it, because otherwise, it, it was just gonna be uh, a tremendous obstacle yeah, and I'm not quite sure, you know, what types of relief there could have been out there. But suddenly I realized one day that the pain, because I wasn't going to be able to stop it, the medications weren't going to be able to stop it, uh, I wasn't going to wake up one day and it, they, they would all be gone. I knew that this was going to be something that I had to deal with for the rest of my life. I realized it was God talking to me. And through the pain, it was just God reminding me you are still here. You are blessed. You are fortunate. You're still walking. People look at you. They don't look at someone who has been hit by a truck. They, and unless you tell them, they're not going to know. So you have a job. 
you have a direction. You need to figure out what that job is. He wasn't just simply going to tell me, uh, <laughs> but he wasn't going to leave me either. Uh, and so through getting that, that particular job and suddenly I'm answering phone calls. Uh, it was a publishing company that, that dealt with health and fitness. Um, and people would call up and they would start asking, well, how do I do this? Or, or the most obvious question, how do I lose weight? And before I knew it, I'm the number one person there primarily who is answering and taking all these questions. Now, I consider myself a world-class athlete. At the peak of my athletic uh, career, I was playing against the greatest players in the world. I had reached that point um, where I played against a lot of the professional soccer teams. One of my greatest games that I ever played in was against the New York Cosmos. And I missed playing against Pelé by, he retired in 77, and I played against uh, the New York Cosmos in, uh, I believe it was 78. I had my greatest game as a goalkeeper, uh, but that's okay. I, that was uh, uh, the perfect time because that way um, I, I didn't get lost out in the field among the other field players. We, I had an amazing half in that they only got one goal uh, by me. Uh, however, in the second half, the coach put uh, the other goalkeeper in to give him experience, and they scored four goals on him. So uh, we got trounced 5-0, but, but uh, there are a lot of players on the New York Cosmos who probably have nightmares over uh, the fact that uh, the goals that they thought they were going to score, I, I saved. And uh, it was a great, great a career highlight for me. However, getting back to uh, suddenly answering phone calls, I, I took all of that training and that knowledge on fitness uh, and started utilizing it uh, to answer these questions. And then I absorbed myself in the particular uh, method that this company had um, invented, uh, which was basically they came out with a theory where if you uh, put certain exercises together synergistically that you could create you could create greater exercises and a greater sequence by doing less exercises, reducing the likelihood of injury and getting greater benefit and so I incorporated that into my own uh, training methods and philosophy and stayed there for almost fifteen years. Uh, helping other athletes, and probably about ten years in, uh, I realized that regular weight conditioning was pretty monotonous and boring. And so I always had to go back to the exercises that got me to be the athlete that I was. I actually started to utilize those to rehab and to continue training. When you mentioned um, earlier uh, about uh, training and, and when did I stop Well, I, I, or stop the rehab, I didn't. I still am in it. And I still utilize those exercises uh, to this day. And that's when I had the epiphany that, that the exercises that I were doing, the combining of those exercises, I could actually help others. Now, some might not necessarily wish to be better athletes, but when I realized, I said, wait a second, we're all athletes. Everything we do is athletic. Athletic is a combination of, of balance and coordination, and in order to move better through the planes that we're on, you need to improve your balance and coordination. And then when you get a little bit further into that, that's when you realize that it's the center of your body that controls everything. And by improving upon your center, and suddenly within the last five or six years, the center core uh, became the, the number one phrase when people referred to, are you training? Oh, I train my center core. Well, for me, it, it was primarily your abs and, and your low back followed because you weren't going to be able to do anything where if you were training your abs, your, your low back wasn't also having to respond accordingly. Mm. 
Well, it, it, so you completely came around from the, working with this company, and you were also personal training people, weren't you, at the same time? That, that's correct. So, suddenly, I, I got to the point where a lot of the people uh, over the phone, because I was doing mostly uh, phone, uh, phone calls and helping people uh, via the phone, uh, people say, well, where are you training people? And, you know, one moment I'd be speaking with someone from New York and the next Missouri and the next Florida and the next Iowa. And so um, I didn't realize that, well, wait a second. There, other than have, ha having helped other athletes in sports-specific training, which I've done practically my entire life, I wasn't actually helping people lift weights. Uh, but I realized that, well, wait, you know, most of these people are asking me how to get in shape. And, and I realized, well, let me go ahead and pursue that. And so the next thing I know, I'm, I'm out there going to people's homes and teaching them the weightlifting aspect. But I also realized that, once again, I wasn't really destined to be a, a babysitter trainer where, you know, Monday and Wednesday and Friday, I'm meeting with this particular client from nine to 10. And, and then it's this next client, and you're almost become like their hairdresser, where you're, you're showing the, them the exercises, but they're really more telling you all their problems in their life. And you're trying to get them to focus on the exercise. And they're just happy that they've got someone to talk to other than their spouse to dump their problems on. And I realized I this is this is okay and I'm glad I'm helping people but once again I I don't think I'm necessarily need to uh stay in this particular career for the next 20 years. So so here we have right in front of me is your DVD right here. Um what compelled you to make your DVD? Um probably about halfway through uh, working for this company uh, I said to myself, you know, I, I've got this idea where I think that it could be a tremendous help to everyone, not necessarily people who who want to lift weights and improve their uh, physical being, but I've got something that, because not everyone necessarily wants to improve their physical being. I've got a program, or at least I have a theory that if everyone puts it to use, it will help them out in such ways that they are practically undescribable. And what I mean by that is when you look at most of the training methods that are out there today, and there are many from aerobics to weight conditioning to yoga to Pilates to martial arts to dance, all of those are great and wonderful. And my program is by no means uh, a substitute for those. What my program is, is supplemental to those other concepts. And if you don't have a concept at all, you can do my program uh, as your complete program. But that's not necessarily uh, my intent. My intent is for individuals to spend two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, once or twice a week to start doing my exercises and my techniques, and then they will, in a very short amount of time, start to notice improvement. And it's that improvement that hits the bell that goes ding inside them that says, wait a second, by only doing a few minutes, I've started to see results, I'm gonna start to spend a little bit more time because what's gonna inevitably happen is that they're gonna start to see improvement in other areas of their life. And that's, for me, what it's all about. Mm, so do you also teach your techniques um, personally, one-on-one -on -one as well, still? Uh, yes, I do. I still have a number of clients. And uh, a lot of my clients aren't necessarily into my concept because they, they've gotten used to being in their own world. And, and that's fine, what works for them. I, I still occasionally will have younger athletes but they're more sport specific. Uh, however, I always will give them uh, the, the quick version of my concept because the bottom line is it works. And if you want to improve your athletic ability, 
by doing my concept, which is basically doing, I've, I've determined that the three pillars that make up the foundation for all athletic movement, strong center core, balance, and coordination. And by improving upon those three areas, and what I've done is I've combined with ab exercises, balance and coordination movement, with balance exercises, ab and coordination technique, and with coordination exercises, abs and balance, so that you're integrating all three of those simultaneously with each other. And the beauty, not that I'm not trying to pitch my own theory in my, my product, is that I could teach 10 people my concept. Each one of them will then have their own particular version. So not one version is going to be the same. And the beauty of it, because there, there are many beauties to this, doesn't matter whether you're five years old or 105, whether you have athletic ability, if you don't have athletic ability, whether you're in shape, you're not in shape, you're tall, you're small, you're fat, you're thin, you're enthused about your physical being or you're not. The truth of the matter is very few of us get a spare part body-wise in our lifetime. Most of us, we're all stuck with the body we get. Some of us get Volkswagen buses. Others get beautiful Lamborghinis. But the bottom line is whether you get the, the big bus that's not running on all cylinders or the beautiful sports car, everyone needs to make sure that their particular vehicle is tuned up to the best that it can be and that you keep it tuned up. Because once again, there are very few of us who will get a spare kidney, a spare heart, a, a new liver, a, a, a new lung. And once again, it's our job to make sure that our bodies are in the best possible shape that they can be in. Yes, I, I totally agree with you because we only have one of everything. <laughs> And I, I, I think some of us take better care of our cars than we do ourselves, you know. It's unfortunate, but yes, that's true. You know, um, I, did, I went through your, your DVD and looked at um, the, the three different parts. And you have some really interesting exercises, like you have the juggling and you have you know, what you're doing with that ball. And it's, it's really so simple. I mean, really, the only thing that people need is a ball. That is correct. All, all you really need, if you want to do the, the three ball juggling, I don't go past three. And of course, there's two ball juggling and, and primarily it's the one ball. It, a lot of your viewers may have, have watched the Harlem Globetrotters uh, and they see a lot of the different movement when they're uh, in a circle and they're passing the ball. Not that you're necessarily going to be doing those, but a lot of those exercises come from that and from also from Pistol Pete Maravich. They were just basically referred to as the Maravich drills, uh, where you're weaving the ball in between your legs and either figure eights, and you can do that from a, a standing or a prone position. Um, and essentially, it's just a, it's a body flow. It's a dance where you're taking the ball and you're passing it around your body. The beauty of it is that what I try to do is, if you can imagine one of the most common movements for strengthening the legs and buttocks is what? The lunge. Well, if you can imagine while you're doing a lunge, you're passing the ball in between, you're lunging to the left, you weave the ball as you move to the right lunge between your legs, and then you continue doing that flow, what happens is, before you know it, you're forgetting that you're lunging. You're more focused on, on moving the ball. And, and for me, I always associate a, a ball in my hand as being what? Fun. It, I'm having, it's fun time. It's not exercise time. Exercise time is boring and I'll do it tomorrow. No, I can't wait to go out and play. It's, it's back to being seven or eight years old and recess in, you know, in elementary school. So with the ball in my hand, I'm having fun. I'm not really thinking that I'm exercising. 20 minutes later, you've got the exercise in, but you also have a smile on your face, uh, along with hopefully a little bit of sweat. <laughs> now, now, you're saying that some of these exercises, they can be done by people of all ages? Every single, if, if, if you could show a five-year-old and someone who's 105 and everyone in between. Uh, they're, the only thing that is limited, you may not necessarily be doing some of the advanced exercises. And remember, with, with fitness and with exercises, uh, the, the individual must 
assume that they know what's going on with their body. Uh, do they have a bad leg? Do they have a bad shoulder? Is their back hurting? Do they have injuries? Did they just have a major surgery? Are they on medication? So once they realize the particular limits uh, that they are under, they can just start to take that ball and move it around their body. And before they knew it, they know it, they'll start to do slightly more difficult exercises. It, it's not really complicated, but once you learn the, a number of the different movements, you're able to then ad lib, make up your own. It's almost like jazz uh, in that you, there's no, it's not A, B, C, D. It, it could be A, D, B, F, Z, Q. You could go all over the place. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing because you're not subjected to having just do a specific type of uh, choreographed move or kata in, in martial arts where it, it's one movement precedes the next. No, here it, it's very, very free-flowing. Uh, if someone wants to make up a routine and, and put it out there, that's great. But, but I really have some general warm-up technique, as, as all exercises should have. Uh, but then once you do the, the basic warm-up, you're on your way to, to feeling uh, whatever direction you want to go in is the direction you go in. So would you would you say that uh, individuals, when they watch your DVD, they would, should pull out the exercises that are easy for them to do at, at present and just continue to do that on a regular basis and then just increase for the more difficult one? Oh, oh absolutely. Because they're so short. It's really repetition, really. And, and, and the thing about it is what I chose to do with my particular DVD was that I realized that most people's uh, attention span is, is very short. So rather than show 15 minutes of one exercise, I tried to get 15 minutes of exercises into 15 minutes so that here's the basic exercise. It's not really rocket science. Uh, unless I was with you personally, I could adjust your technique. But, but it's so basic, a lot of the movement, that once you start doing them, You'll you'll see the improvement right away, uh, and you'll be able to be on your own and start um, ad libbing once again and going in a direction because they're not they're not complicated movements. Some of the more advanced exercises are complicated, so so I always suggest you know first and foremost before you begin any exercise program, you see a physician or a, a medical professional to make sure that you're okay with doing the exercises, uh, and then to start slow. You could always add a little bit more. Uh, but it's inevitable um, that once you start exercising, something's going to get sore, something's going to get injured. When, when others ask me, uh, when was the last time I was injury-free, uh, I say five. Uh, when I was a young athlete, starting at five, that's when you're going to get your first injury. You're, you're going to trip and, you know, and most likely cut your chin, and from that moment on, it's uh, it's one injury to the next, and you try to rehab as quickly as possible, and tape up what's not working right, and put an ace bandage on it, and uh, hopefully not re-injure it, and wait till you injure another part, and uh, eventually you're going to get back to that first injury. But yeah, your well, life is. Uh, I guess you can quote me on this. Life is not injury free. <laughs> yes, that's very true, especially when you watch everyone. I mean. No matter what age, we are still bumping into things and hurting ourselves, yes. Um, what is, uh, I mean, we're coming to the top of our R now, right now, Corky. What is, um, what would you say to our audience? I mean, how would, how should they approach their daily lifestyle to implement these exercises and other exercises? As you say, your, your exercises um, are easily uh, compatible with anything else, whether they be doing yoga or martial arts. And so not necessarily, I know it says, you know, how to improve your athletic ability. And you and I both know the minute that you use the word athlete, you know, the people are very narrow and they go, well, I don't play baseball or I don't play soccer. And, you know, oh, you know, I'm an elderly person or a senior and I want something easy. So, you know, the moment they hear or see that, that's, they're going to go, well, I'm not that individual. So what would you say and what, how would you have them approach? Well, I would pretty much uh, divide, uh, well, I don't have to divide your audience because uh, most of the people that are, are watching us or are in tune are, are, are 
probably more likely to be doing some type of exercise program than the people that are not doing uh, any particular exercise program. So I was initially going to say I'd divide most people into two groups, those who exercise and those who really don't. Uh, and you're correct in that the title does throw people off because essentially my goal was to help out athletes. But then when I realized that not everyone's an athlete, it still has a tremendous benefit for those individuals as well. So what I've, what I would advise to your people is, is get a ball, watch the DVD, just start some of the basic exercises. Uh, because a lot of it, what it does is it helps getting the body moving. And it gets it moving in ways that are not similar to whatever particular movements you may be doing now. Unless, of course, you're out on a basketball court or you're playing tennis regularly uh, or things like that that are a little bit more proactive as opposed to a Pilates or a yoga or, or even martial arts. Because a lot of martial arts is, especially for younger uh, martial artists, it's all primarily the same type of movements as opposed to unless you're wrestling and that, you know, nothing is similar. So your arms are going all over the place. That's the beauty of some of these exercises there. You're able to do them so that your, your joints are getting a little bit more activity. And remember the more activity that they get, the more like more muscles are being used, more tendons are being strengthened more neuromuscular transmissions are being made because of those different, I don't want to say the word awkward, let, let me say unconventional movements, not movements that are outside of your basic biomechanical movement. No one's going to do something that's going to be hurting themselves, or at least I would hope they wouldn't be. But you're going to be, movement, you're going to be doing movements where they're not the same as when you're in a particular yoga position or a Pilates position or doing a push-up or a bicep curl or a chest press. These are all outside of, of those particular areas, and that's why it has such a tremendous benefit. And I know that you use the ball in this, and it's a basketball, I do believe, or a soccer ball. Any, right? any ball, I, I, I always tell my clients, uh, any ball except a golf ball, a bowling ball, it's a little bit more complicated with a football, uh, but a round ball is preferred, whether it's a volleyball, a soccer ball, or a basketball. For for people that are just beginning, I always I, I like a soccer ball only because I'm more used to using a soccer ball. But a soccer ball happens to be a, a little smaller than a basketball. When you're doing some of the movements around your body, around your waist, between your legs, it's slightly easier to have uh, something a little smaller to deal with than the large basketball. But, but the truth of the matter is, when I'm on the basketball court, that's what I'm using as well. Right. Well, I'll remember to do that and try it with my son's I, size five soccer ball. Well, no, no, you wouldn't have a size. That's a regular size if he's using a size oh, five. Is it? it was a little one. And then it's probably a size three or a size is four. Oh, yeah, the professionals so use a five. Uh, below that then is the four. And then the younger players use a, a two, three, four, and so on. You. So I'll use his size to start. There you go. And get his permission first. Always. The second he knows it's, it's missing, and he's going to come in. Hey, what's going on here? Well, thank you so much, Corky, for for joining us here today and sharing your story with us and inspiring those who've you know had um, a rough uh, turn in their life, so to say. That uh, you've you've used all the abilities and everything you learned from childhood and. Just take, just use them all to this day, right? To improve your health and and help others improve theirs. That's magnificent. Thank you so much. I, I, that's that's my goal. That's my uh, direction in life. And and understand that we all suffer all kinds of of tragedies, and and we're life is not going to necessarily be an easy road for everyone. Whether it's just twisting an ankle one day and having to just deal with that, and if that's all you had to deal with, you certainly would have a blessed life. But most of us are going to suffer a little bit more than necessarily a, a sprained ankle. Uh, and for those of you who do, uh, understand that that through just hard work and determination and, and perseverance and a little bit of patience and maybe some luck as well, uh, you'll get through it and 
uh, you'll be better for it. And last but not least, uh, my DVD will help you do that. Um, <laughs> there you go. And the way they can find you, too, is uh, Athletic, Athletic One. One. Right? Athletic uh, One. And we will, of course, have that on the website under this interview as well and how they can contact you and actually get the DVD. It is a lot of fun. A lot of your movements and all are a lot of fun. And for men and women, you know. <laughs> Boys and girls, um, aliens and uh, species from other planets. There you where go. I'm, I'm sure you. they'll benefit as well. <laughs> Great. And I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us here and supporting us on this new platform of education and information. You know, we're all always grateful for your continuous support and we look forward to supporting you better. So be sure to contact us at yogahub.com if you have any questions or comments, and uh, we'll do our best uh, to reply promptly. Or if you know you are you yourself are um, going through something medical-wise, we would love to be able to bring a specialist on on that magical medical tour uh, to help you through that time as well. So join us live every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for a Magical Medical Tour, and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for Trinity of Life. Thank you again, and until we meet again, namaste. Namaste.